0: I don't remember how old I was, probably four or five, but I do remember where I was, the Transylvania Hotel. And I was scared. It was Halloween 1977, 1978, and our family went to a haunted house in the very small town in which I grew up. I remember walking into the building and there were there was this flight of stairs that you had to walk up and there was this creepy Halloween soundtrack blaring through the speakers with moans and dogs barking and that was been cemented in my mind. And as we began making our way through the dark rooms, I was holding on to my dad's jacket. And there were a lot of people and they were getting scared and people were pushing and running around like they do in haunted houses and in that chaos I still held on to my dad's jacket or so I thought in the chaos somehow I lost my grip on my dad for just a second and when I looked up a few minutes later I realized that I had not latched back onto my dad's jacket but Frankenstein's in the chaos I lost my grip on my dad and somehow latched onto the jacket of Frankenstein. And I remember seeing my dad across the room and I wondered, who am I holding on to? And then I made the mistake of looking up. I never should have looked up. I probably don't need to explain to you how I miraculously flew through the air and landed in my dad's arms and stayed there during the rest of our journey through the Transylvania Hotel. But you get the picture. I had a vice grip lock on my dad's neck for the rest of the evening. That's kind of what we're going to see in our passage today. This is more of a a topical sermon. We're still in our series Vintage Joy for one more week because I just can't shake the image of Jesus being the good shepherd who has come to care for us, who came to lay his life down for his flock. That wonderful truth has been percolating in my heart for over two weeks as we saw last week in our morning services and in the both Christmas Eve services, we saw that he is the Good Shepherd. So we're not going to return to the Gospel of Mark today as I originally planned because I need one more week to meditate on Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And I need that because I will readily admit that I still get scared just like I did in 1978. I still have fears about the future and the present. I still need the Good Shepherd to take me in his arms and carry me close to his chest and tell me, fear not. My fearful heart still needs calming. I'm 40 years into this Christianity thing, and my fearful heart still needs calming. And I can readily admit now, 40 years later, that I am a dumb sheep that needs to be led by a shepherd. I'm not afraid to admit that I'm an idiot. I've told you that before. I need help. I need all the help that I can get. I'm not afraid to admit that I still cling to self-serving agendas that keep me in bondage. Self-serving agendas that make me wander away from my shepherd and get lost. I'm not afraid to admit that I'm an idiot. And perhaps you are one too. If so, let's look once more at Jesus, our shepherd. I want us to end 2017 as a church and begin 2018 by being reminded of the good shepherd who is gently leading us. Gently leading us into 2018. So look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11 again. Hear the word of the Lord. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Okay, remember what we saw over the past few weeks in our series Vintage Joy. Uh, In the events leading up to the birth of Jesus, the nation of Israel was under the oppression of Rome. Herod was a crazy psycho leader who had issues, clearly. And God had not spoken through a prophet to his people in over 400 years. Radio silence for 400 years. And to many, it seemed like the promise of the prophets, that the Messiah would come, that it, those promises had long expired, it seemed. It was like uh, a gallon of milk. The expiration date, it seemed, had gone out on all the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. Like the promise in Micah 5, where Micah, the prophet, sings that Christmas song, O podunk town of Bethlehem. Listen to Micah 5. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. It had been some 700 or so years since Micah prophesied and said these words. 700 years have gone by when the angels arrive in Luke's gospel that we saw over the last few weeks. And until the angel appeared to Elizabeth and Mary it seemed like the promised shepherd of Micah chapter 5 would never come. And until the angels appeared to those dirty shepherds out watching their flocks at night, it seemed that the promised shepherd of Micah 5 would never come. But as we saw last week, the angels did bring good news of great joy and they delivered it to shepherds who announced it in, of all places, Bethlehem. But what did the angels tell the shepherds? Fear not little flock watching your flocks at night and that's our big idea today fear not little flock i stole our big idea from jesus i don't think you'll mind that's what jesus said in luke twelve thirty two. fear not little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom those four words seem like they don't go together do they Fear not and little flock seem like they don't belong in the same sentence. Now, the words fear and little flock do seem like they go together. When you're in the Transylvania Hotel holding on to Frankenstein's jacket, fear and little flock go together because little flocks, little kids, get scared. But when Jesus says it, it makes perfect sense. Jesus is the reason why little flocks don't have to be afraid. Jesus is the reason why scared little sheep will actually get the kingdom so let me ask you are you scared about something today are you fearful of the future does the unknown what's going to happen in whatever situation that you're dealing with does the unknown have you in knots does have your stomach in knots is it affecting your sleep does 2018 feel hopeless already and it's not even here just yet Does all of the uncertainty of the future keep you up at night? Well, what you need this morning is God's word. You need Jesus to tell you something this morning. And I pray that it echoes far into 2018 and beyond in your heart. Listen to his voice again from Luke 12, 32. Fear not, don't be afraid, little flock. For it is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I love that verse. Fear not. Jesus knew that we would fear. Jesus knew that we would stress over what to eat, what to wear, how to pay the bills, how to survive, what's going to happen in our future, how our kids are going to turn out. But here's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't come and scold us. He knew we would fear. He doesn't come and scold us. He doesn't throw his hands up in the air and say, can't you just get your act together for once? Can't you just believe a promise of mine for once? Come on. No, he doesn't do that. He comes and he says, fear not, little flock. Little flock. What a beautiful nickname he gave us. Little flock. Fear not, little flock. Why? Because your heavenly Father takes great delight and great pleasure in giving you the kingdom. As he took great pleasure in the sacrifice of his son Jesus, so too he takes great delight to give his children the kingdom. Isaiah reminds the nation of Israel and us that we are the sheep of his pasture. We are his little flock. There's such beauty in each of these two words. Fear not, little flock. And that's what Isaiah is saying to the church here in chapter 40. But let's get our bearings here since we just jumped right into the middle of Isaiah's prophecy. For the first 39 chapters, Isaiah has delivered mostly bad news. It's just been judgment, 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 judgment. What he has said about Israel and Judah has not been pretty. But beginning in chapter 40, Isaiah will begin a new major section of his book and he will begin addressing Israel in the future. The scene has shifted from Judah facing the Assyrians in the 8th century BC to the exiles in Babylon in the 6th century BC. Now, in chapter 40, Isaiah is beginning to address the nation of Israel as they are in Babylon some 200 years into the future. It hasn't happened yet, but it will happen in the future. They will go into Babylonian captivity because they will forsake the Lord. And Isaiah is speaking to them now in chapter 40 in the future to give them hope and to calm their fears. So beginning in Isaiah chapter 40, they are in exile in Babylon. They are trapped in the Babylonia hotel holding on to Frankenstein's jacket. And they're scared. They are slaves in a foreign land. Their self-serving agendas landed them in bondage, and they wandered away from Yahweh. So God's people are defeated, they're bitter, they're disillusioned, they're cynical, and they're scared. In fact, they think God has failed them. They think God has given up on them. They think Yahweh has bailed on them. Listen to what Isaiah says to them in verse 27. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27. Look at it. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. They think that because they have been taken away into captivity that God has forgotten them, even though it was their rebellion that landed them in Babylon. Their sin landed them in exile, and yet they are blaming the Lord. And that's typically what we do, isn't it? We blame God. Things don't go well. And we begin to blame God. And what does God do in response to that? He comes down to comfort us. That's shocking. We complain. We get bitter. We become cynical. And Jesus comes with the promise of comfort. He comes with a hope that doesn't depend on us, but depends entirely on himself. Listen to the words of comfort that Isaiah brings. Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah begins to speak tenderly. He begins to speak lovingly to Jerusalem. This is a Hebrew phrase that's used of a passionate lover wooing his beloved, trying to win their heart back. Isaiah is declaring the gospel to the Jews who are languishing in Babylonian exile. He's saying to them, and get this, he is saying this to us this morning. As we enter 2018, God has not abandoned you. God has not forgotten you. He is with you and your best days are still ahead. He has a purpose of grace for you better than you could even imagine. You you know you want to tell God how 2018's going, right? How you would like it to go. He has a better plan. Isaiah wasn't saying that to you, that was me. Back to what Isaiah is saying to you. He's coming to save you, to rescue you, believe it, and let this hope fill your cells and banish all cynicism. Fear not, little flock in exile. What do cynical, bitter people need? The gospel and lots of it. What do fearful people need? The gospel and lots of it. Martin Luther said, In spiritual sheep herding, that is, in the kingdom of Christ, one should therefore preach to the sheep of Christ, not the law of God, much less the ordinances of men, but the gospel. For through the gospel, Christ's sheep obtain strength in their faith, rest in their hearts, and comfort in all kinds of anxieties and perils of death. Those who preach this way conduct the office of spiritual shepherd properly. Feed the sheep of Christ in a green pasture. Lead them to the fresh water. Restore their souls. Keep them from being led astray. And comfort them with Christ's rod and staff. That's exactly what Isaiah is doing here at the beginning of chapter 40. He's echoing the good news of Psalm 23 for the people of God who are in exile. It's how he begins this chapter in chapter 40. He's speaking Tenderly to the nation to woo her back to the Lord. Why? Because they were bitter in Babylon. They were cynical. They felt abandoned. They were scared. They were afraid. And so Isaiah wants to woo them back with the gospel. And he does that by painting a picture of the Lord. By painting a picture of Yahweh as a tender, caring shepherd listen to verse 11 again he will tend his flock like a shepherd he will gather the lambs in his arms he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young question when we blow it just like israel did what do we need comfort and lots of it who gets the last word in our lives is it our sins are failures or does God? God does. God gets the last word. He comes to comfort us in our failures as a shepherd. He comes to carry us close to his heart. Thankfully, he doesn't leave us in our sins. He doesn't leave us in exile. He does what a shepherd does. He overrules our stupidity. Let me say that again. He overrules our stupidity and he gently leads us back home. Does that mean there are no consequences to our sin? Does that mean we never cry prayers of repentance? Well, of course not. There are real consequences to sin. Just ask Israel. They're in Babylon because of their sin. Their self-serving agendas book them seven days and seven nights at No, 70 years at the Babylonia Hotel. But how does Yahweh appear to them? Does he come to them as a judge? Does he come to them as a tyrant? Does he rub their faces in their mess? No, he comes as a shepherd to hold them close to his heart, to gently lead them home. Of course there are consequences to our sin please hear me out, there are consequences and sometimes heavy and very weighty consequences to our sin. You can seriously mess up your life due to your sin, due to your stupidity, due to your self-serving agendas. And you may have to live with the consequences of that the rest of your life. That is sobering. We may have to live with the consequences of our sin for the rest of our lives. And so fight sin and hate sin and kill sin. But if you end up in exile because of your sin, meaning if you mess up your life seriously because of sin, how does God appear to you? He appears as a tender, caring shepherd who will hold you close and gently guide you, and gently lead you. That's what Isaiah is saying here. Does God discipline his children? Of course. The Bible tells us that. He loves us. Of course he disciplines us. But does God leave us? No. Does he abandon us? No. When his discipline has done its work, when we have cried prayers of deep repentance, he comes to us as the good shepherd overflowing with comfort. And so understand this grace. Isaiah is trying to tell us that the occasion of God's renewing comfort is our failure. The occasion of God's renewing comfort to us, it's our failure. God's renewing comfort comes when we fail. That's the occasion. He comes to us as we are, weak, frail, dumb sheep, And he comes to us where we are in the wilderness and in the desert of our real lives. That's when the comfort comes. The occasion of God's renewing comfort is our failure. That gives us some hope in our failure, doesn't it? And don't you want hope when you've blown it? So you may be crippled today and paralyzed by your fears. You may be dealing with the consequences of your sin. You may be experiencing vertigo and losing your balance and losing your bearings. But you can take heart just like the Jews who are in exile and captivity in Babylon it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom regardless of what your situation and circumstances look like in fact even because of and through your situations and circumstances God is working to bring about redemption Israel was holding on to Frankenstein's jacket in Babylon and Yahweh is reaching out in the dark through Isaiah to offer them gospel hope. And he is there in your dark too. Look around. Look for evidence of your shepherd's care and provision for you. Look around in your life right now. Look for evidence of your shepherd's care of you. Look for evidence of your shepherd's provision you. For you even in the middle of your darkness even in the middle of your failure today right now whatever is going on in your life whatever is keeping you up at night whatever is causing you to toss and turn in bed whatever is causing you to bite your fingernails whatever's causing you to pace the room, whatever's keeping you from eating because you've lost your appetite, you can really take to heart and believe Jesus' words to his people when he says, fear not, little flock. Four little words to comfort your heart today. Four little words that you can put on a post-it note and place on the mirror in your bathroom to remind you when you get scared, when fears paralyze you, when those panic attacks come on so strong and you're like, it's gotta breathe, it's gotta breathe. Four little words to comfort you then. Four little words to strengthen this little flock here at Grace. Four little words to help you when you feel like life is one big nightmare when you feel like your life is just a haunted house i shared this last week but it's worth hearing again alec motier said the old testament is the place where we learn about the good shepherd looking after his sheep god is in love with us his heart goes pitter-patter when he sees us that's so plain in the old testament and where do we see it most clearly in the old testament obviously psalm 23 right I mean, it's all over the Old Testament, but the place where we see it most clearly, that he is the good shepherd who loves us, and his heart goes pitter-patter when he sees us, the place that we see it most clearly in the Old Testament is the beloved Psalm 23. Listen to the first three verses. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Commenting on this verse, Martin Luther said, In this single word, shepherd, there are gathered together in one almost all the good and comforting things that we praise in God. Shepherd. All the good and comforting things that we know about God, that we sing about God, that we love about God, are captured here in this one word. Shepherd. The shepherd cares for his flock. The shepherd protects his flock. The shepherd guides his flock. The shepherd feeds his flock. The shepherd leads his flock to places of rest and peace. That's what Isaiah is telling his audience. He's pointing back to Psalm 23 as he looked into the future and preached good news to those who were in exile. And this is what Jesus does for us. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. John 10, 11. That's the gospel. That's the gospel that comforts the hearts of broken, weak, and wayward sheep. And our hearts need to be comforted because we are sheep. Our hearts need to be comforted because God's law exposes all of us as very needy sinners. And it's the word sheep that exposes us. The word sheep exposes every single one of us. As weak, needy shepherds who desperately need a, weak, needy sheep who desperately need a shepherd. Listen, I know when we think of sheep, we like to think of some cute little plush toy, but that is nowhere on the mind of David here in Psalm 23 or the prophets Micah, Isaiah, Amos. If David saw a picture of the sheep that grace our children's Bibles, he would be confused because we really don't know what sheep are like. If Isaiah saw our cute little pictures of sheep, he would be very confused. If the prophet Amos saw our pictures of sheep, he'd say from first-hand experience as a shepherd that we've got the wrong idea. We have made sheep into these cute little like precious moments creatures. Pure bleached white wool, beautiful blue sparkling eyes, bell hanging from the collar, sitting on a stool, holding a balloon, and smiling. That's not what the biblical authors want to convey. They chose this image for a very good reason because we are prone to wonder just like sheep because if we're honest, we're dumb. I read this at our Christmas Eve services last week, but I want to read it again. It's from the Sally Lloyd-Jones book, Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. Helpless. What animal does the Bible say 400 times that people... Are most like, oh dear, it's sheep. Sheep aren't clever at all. They're foolish. For instance, sometimes they just topple over and can't get themselves back up again. They just lie there. And they're constantly falling off cliffs or going to unsafe places and getting stuck or eating poisonous things or getting hurt or running off and getting lost or not finding their way home again, even if their fold is in plain sight. So you see, sheep are completely helpless on their own and desperately need a shepherd. And God says, we are helpless on our own too. And we desperately need a shepherd. Which is why he gave us Jesus. We're sheep, Grace. And if we are sheep, then guess what? We are dumb. Isaiah chose this image because everyone in ancient Israel was familiar with sheep. Because sheep were everywhere. Everyone knew what sheep were like. And in case you are unfamiliar with sheep it is not a nice thing to be likened to a sheep this is not a compliment you should not respond to isaiah or amos or micah calling you a sheep with these words oh isaiah you're so sweet that's so precious so kind of you to say that dear thing so kind of you to call me a precious little lamb bless your heart isaiah you don't respond to him that way he called you a sheep and that's not a compliment by saying that we have a shepherd, Isaiah is telling us that we are sheep. And Isaiah is throwing us under the proverbial bus. He is stripping all of us of our self-righteousness and exposing us for who we are. So please, when you read sheep, don't think bleach white fluffy animals that you can win at the state fair or carnival if you throw enough rings around some bottles. Sheep are messy, and sheep are dirty, and sheep are stupid. We are messy. We are dirty. We are stupid, which is exactly why we need a shepherd. Professor John Holbert describes sheep this way. Sheep need constant watching as they stick their ever-hungry snouts into the grass below them or into the hinder parts of the sheep in front of them and wander without a thought up and down the land, eating and defecating and straying up dangerous hillsides and down into rushing waters, foolishly risking fleece and mutton again and again to the utter frustration and consternation of the shepherd, who must be constantly vigilant lest another of her charges drown or fall or be snatched away by the lurking predators of the forest and vale. Shepherding is no pleasant walk in the dog park. It is hard, dusty, smelly, constant labor and if i am a sheep i am lost without a shepherd that's us grace we're stinky dirty messy dumb sheep and we are lost without a shepherd so please understand this the moment that you declare the promise of isaiah's here he will gather the lambs in his arms The moment you sing, the Lord is my shepherd. In that moment, you are saying that you are desperate. Desperate for outside help. Desperate for rescue. Desperate for care. Desperate for guidance. Desperate for protection. Desperate for correction. And desperate for nourishment. So please take the phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. Down from your neatly framed pictures... Remove it from your coffee cups. Don't highlight it in your Bible unless you are willing to come to grips with what it means that you are desperate, that you are weak, that you are messy, that you are prone to drift, that you have self-serving agendas, and that you are prone to run from the God that you claim to love, and that you need a shepherd that you are done. If you can come to grips with the truth that saying the Lord is my shepherd means you are a weak needy sinner who is prone to run from God, then you are a prime candidate to receive the grace of God. That's the sweet spot right there. That's the sweet spot because that's where you find the good shepherd. We don't want to go to those places because it's scary. We don't want to be dependent. We don't want to say, if you don't intervene, nothing's going to happen. We still want to say, but I'll do this, God. And God says, no, you've got to go in the dark. You've got to go to the scary places because the scariest place is the safest place because that's where the good shepherd is. The good news of the gospel that Isaiah is declaring to those in exile and declaring to us is this, is that our shepherd will not let us drift forever he comes with rescuing grace to save us from our self-serving agendas he intervenes with his grace he will not let us drift forever even though we are wayward sheep we have a shepherd who keeps us who carries us close to his heart imagine that as dirty and stinky and messy and sinful as we are he carries us close To his heart, he gently leads us. He calls us with his voice and we listen. As Jesus said himself in John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And what is his voice? It's the good news. It's the gospel. The voice of our shepherd is the gospel. Martin Luther said, the voice of this shepherd with which he speaks to his sheep and calls them is the Holy Gospel. The pasture with which Christ feeds his sheep is also the dear gospel, by which our souls are fed and strengthened, preserved from error, comforted in all temptations and sorrows, protected against the devil's wile and power, and finally saved from all need. He is the one who carries us and guides us and protects us. He is the one who lays his life down for the sheep. He is the one who keeps us from perishing. He is the one who won't let anyone snatch us out of his hand. John 10, 28 and 29. He guides us to springs of living water. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And all that we can do as sheep is lend our ears and hear the voice of our shepherd and follow him. The gospel is the voice of our shepherd Jesus. And in the gospel, he demands nothing of us. The gospel is good news. In the gospel, he demands nothing of us. He simply announces the good news that he has given us, poor sinners, wayward sheep, he has given us his son to be our shepherd. And our shepherd will seek us out when we roam, when we find ourselves in exile, when we really mess up our lives. He will go and find us, he will bring us to the green grass. And the fresh water that restores our souls. And the green pastures and the still waters are the gospel, the good news that we are called to return to daily, moment by moment. And so, fear not, little flock. Jesus knows your fears. And you know what? He doesn't minimize your fears, He doesn't shame you because you have fears. He doesn't shame you because you panic. He doesn't scold you because you are afraid. He doesn't come alongside you and say, just get with the program. Come on, this thing is not that big of a deal. Come on, get over it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't minimize our fears. He doesn't shame us because of our fears. He doesn't scold us. Instead, he just says simply, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom I will gather you in my arms. I will carry you in my bosom. I will gently lead you. May your Savior's voice bring you the comfort that you need this morning. May it comfort you tomorrow on January 1st, 2018. And may His voice comfort you throughout the year. Jesus' words in Luke 12, 32 change everything. Because his life changes everything. And his death changes everything. And his resurrection changes everything. But, what happens when you try to go it alone? What happens if you try to venture into 2018 on your own without your shepherd? What happens when you try to go it alone? What happens when you become a slave of your own self-serving agenda? What happens when you wander away from your shepherd... And you grab onto Frankenstein's jacket. What happens when you remove the Good Shepherd and everything that he does from Psalm 23? It ain't pretty. Paul Miller explains what this looks like in his book on prayer. Listen to his wording when you take the Good Shepherd and all that he does out of Psalm 23. If you read what's left over, after you remove the Good Shepherd, it sounds like this My, I shall be in want. Me, Me, my soul, me, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I fear, me, me in the presence of my enemies, my head, my cup, me, all the days of my life, I. And if we're honest this morning, it probably sounds like what a transcript of our prayers would look like. Paul Miller goes on to say that when you remove the good shepherd out of Psalm 23 and out of your lives... And we are left obsessing over our wants in the valley of the shadow of death, paralyzed by fear in the presence of our enemies. No wonder so many are so cynical. With the good shepherd gone, we are all alone in a world of evil. Both the child and the cynic walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The cynic focuses on the darkness. The child focuses on the shepherd. And what happens when you take the good shepherd and all that he does out of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 11? Here's what you're left with. Eleven. That's all you got left. A verse reference. Eleven. When you remove the good shepherd out of your life, you have nothing. Nothing but self and worry and cynicism and fear. So will you welcome him today? Ray Ortland said, our God doesn't work at arm's length or only through church programs or just by handing down decrees from on high. He comes, he brings his presence, and his presence is our joy. Our part is to have the courage to welcome him with a bold restructuring of our lives. Nothing could be greater for us than to be wonderfully disrupted by the power of this hope. He's worth the upheaval. When we remove the good shepherd from our lives, we are left with our own self-serving agendas, and we want our designer lives to go the way we want. But our shepherd knows what is best for us. We are idiots. We don't know what is best for us, but he does. And when we welcome him to bring a wrecking ball into our so-called designer lives, that's when we'll be free. That's when we'll dance. When we allow and when we welcome and when we embrace his staff reaching out and course correcting us, trust me, it's worth the upheaval. Being wonderfully disrupted by God's shepherding care is where we want to be, right? Being wonderfully disrupted by God's shepherding care is where we want to be because what's the alternative? Kicking, fighting, wandering, being lost, being cynical, being afraid. So listen to Jesus again today. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. So listen to his voice. Fear not, little flock. Because of the gospel, because the good shepherd laid his life down for his sheep, we can walk through a dark, broken world with the good shepherd and not by ourselves or obsessed with ourselves. We are not alone in the valleys. He is carrying us. And so as the new year comes upon us, fear not. And maybe you're dealing with the consequences of your sin this morning. Maybe you feel like you're in exile. Fear not. Trust the good shepherd. Whatever it is that you are facing today, fear not, little flock. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, reminds me of the little flock that is gathered here today. This verse reminds me of us this verse is like a mirror. I see our reflection in it. And as I look around, I see a room full of sinners. And I see grace being given to sinners who have messed up their lives. I see grace being given to a scared little flock. I see grace being given to the weak. I see Jesus tending us. I see Jesus gathering us in his arms. I see Jesus carrying us in his bosom. I see Jesus Gently leading us. I see Jesus saying, fear not, little flock. Jesus is all the proof that you need that God is watching over you. So may you look to your shepherd this morning. May you see his strong, providential arm, which Isaiah talks about in verse 10. We didn't cover it. But may you see his strong, providential arm working for your good. May you see his smiling face and run to him. May you see his strong arm and say, I trust you and may you feel most gently the warmth of his shepherding arms around you. Alec Motier said, the sovereign God is never more sovereign than in the work of mercy and salvation. And it is those who know they have most signally erred and strayed from his ways who within the blessed arena of salvation feel most gently the warmth of his shepherding arms around them and know themselves for sure to be the lambs of his little flock. Little flock, one day everything sad will come untrue. Cling to that truth. One day, Revelation seven seventeen will become our reality. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you gave us your Son who laid his life down for us, took our blame, our guilt, our shame, our sin to the cross and freely gave us his righteousness. We stand exposed by your law this morning as being wandering sheep, but even more so we hear the words of the gospel that we are loved, that we are forgiven, and that you care for us and that our future is bright. May we trust you in the coming year. In Jesus' name.